0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings everyone, I want to welcome those who are joining us from our various regional campuses, the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary, our regionals in Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online audience, and if you're joining us from another part of the world, we want to say hello to you from Calgary, Alberta. There's a museum in Washington that displays a leather-bound book that belonged to Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States. Jefferson was a naturalist, and he did not believe in the supernatural. So he took a pair of scissors to his King James Bible and cut out all the passages in the Gospels that had any reference to miracles. And whatever remained, he pasted in that leather-bound book, and that was the Bible he read every day. He called it the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. It was a gospel without miracles. No virgin birth or Jesus walking on water. No multiplying of the loaves and fish. And no story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Jefferson's version ends with Jesus' burial on Good Friday. For there is no resurrection Sunday either. While this is appalling, there are churches today that are guilty of the same mistake. They may not use a a real pair of scissors, but in their interpretation of the Bible, they cut out some parts of the scripture and the end result is we have a Jesus who is mild and tame, who's devoid of any power. This Jesus maintains a safe distance from the rest of the world, Away from all of the world's problems because his hands are tied. He cannot save. Dorothy Sayers put it so well when she said, We have very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. But the Jesus of the Gospels is far from meek. He is the powerful Savior. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He reigns in majesty. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Sometimes our vision of God gets dim because of life's problems. We get obsessed with our predicament that we forget how strong and how powerful our God is. If Jesus is indeed the mighty Savior, then you and I have nothing to fear. We will be some of the most confident people on earth. And that is my prayer that through this uh, mini-sermon series, God would strengthen our faith and confidence in Jesus and His power to save We find in Mark chapters 4 and 5, the gospel writer uses four back to back stories that demonstrate one truth that Jesus is the mighty Savior. Four back to back stories to remind us of his saving power. In the first story, Jesus calms the storm and he shows that he is sovereign over the forces of nature. In the second story, Jesus transforms the life of a man possessed by a legion of demons and establishes his authority over Satan and forces of darkness. In the third story, Jesus heals a woman who suffered for 12 years with a bleeding disorder and demonstrates his power over sickness and disease. And in the fourth story, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead And he shows he has conquered death. Mark very carefully has arranged these four stories back to back to help us to understand Jesus' divine power. If you're here last weekend, we looked at Mark chapter 5, the story of the man possessed by an army of demons. And Jesus brought a powerful transformation in his life. And that shows there is not a single person in this world who is beyond God's redemptive grace. Jesus is more powerful than demons. In case you missed that sermon, you can catch up on our website or download it on iTunes. Today we are going to look at the second part of Mark chapter 5 as we continue on the theme, Mighty Savior. And you will learn today, Jesus is more powerful then sickness and death. There are many threats to faith, but I believe sickness and death are two of the greatest. They are the two great long-standing enemies of the human race. A biopsy or an MRI followed by an ominous call from the doctor's office, cancer. Life seems to be going normal And suddenly, out of the blue, you experience a heart attack or stroke. A young mom or dad gets diagnosed with a debilitating disease. And even worse than sickness is the death of a loved one. Sometimes unexpected. Life gets snuffed out much too early. Sickness and death are a regular part of human experience. They are our biggest foes and they have invaded our planet. How does Jesus conquer these two fierce opponents? I'm going to ask us to stand as we read from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid just believe he did not let anyone follow him except Peter James and John the brother of James when they came to the home of the synagogue leader Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly he went in and said to them why all this commotion and wailing the child is not dead but asleep but they laughed at him after he put them all out He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And told them to give her something to eat. Can we pause right now and pray and ask God to speak to us? Lord, you've given us a mighty Savior who's all powerful. Forgive us, Lord, for our unbelief, for the times we try to tame Jesus. But today, we do not want anything to hinder our view. we want to see Jesus as he is. So speak to us by the power of your spirit. Minister to every single person in this place. May we hear your voice through the proclamation of your truths. So we commit this time to you. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know what your favorite food is, but Mark, the writer of this gospel, seems to be in love with sandwiches. You see this at least a few times in Mark's gospel. Mark starts off a story, then stops halfway through, and introduces a new story, and then he goes back to the original story and goes back to finish it. So it's like a nice big sandwich two slices of bread with the meat in the middle. This style of writing serves to add to the drama and the intrigue of the narrative. So in the section that we read just now, we see two stories combined together. Jairus and his dying daughter, and a woman with a gynecological problem. You can't help but notice the similarities and contrast between these two stories. It's for a reason Mark placed them in this sandwich structure because he wants us to read these stories together. Both Jairus and the women were facing a desperate situation and both demonstrate extraordinary faith in Jesus. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old and was dying. The women had suffered with a bleeding disorder. Guess how long? 12 years. Jairus fell down on his knees at Jesus' feet. The woman would have gotten down on her knees to touch Jesus' garment. The woman was ceremonially unclean because of her physical condition. The girl was ceremonially unclean because she was dead. And now you see the contrast. While Jairus was a leader in the synagogue, this woman is a nobody. She's not even allowed to enter into the synagogue. We don't even know her name. Jairus was rich. This woman was penniless. Jairus was honored and respected. This woman had faced faced disgrace. Two stories from completely different spectrums converging at one point the saving power of Jesus. And the end result is humanity's greatest enemies, sickness and death, are comprehensively defeated. Look at verses 21 to 24 again. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. In modern terms, he would be the board chair of the church. He commanded the respect of everyone in the community. He was a well-to-do man, a man of distinction. He belonged to the higher strata of the society. Jairus had a family, a wife and a beautiful little daughter. Life was great. They were sailing effortlessly on smooth seas. But unknown to them, there was a storm brewing. Things come to a sudden halt when his family is hit by a crisis. Their little daughter, all of a sudden, becomes sick. And very soon, her condition turns critical. Jairus was about to go through what no parent should go through. His sweet daughter, his beloved little girl, was dying. His world had fallen apart in no time. And at that moment, Jairus received word that the rabbi whom everyone is talking about is coming to town. Jesus' reputation as a healer in Galilee was spreading, and he had almost become a celebrity. So in this desperate situation, faced with a dire need, Jairus comes to Jesus on his knees pleading for a miracle. The last thing Jairus was worried about was his reputation, his status, or what others would think of him. I mean, who cares about all of those things when you're staring at the cold reality of the death of someone you love? As Jesus and his disciples were walking along with Jairus towards his home, a huge crowd gathered around out of sheer curiosity. Luke's account of the story says the crowd was literally crushing them. Jairus must have tried to keep the crowd away from Jesus and his disciples. Don't you dare slow us down. We need to head home. My daughter is dying. You can feel Jairus' angst. He was desperate to take Jesus home so Jesus can lay hands on his little girl and she would live. At this point in the story, when the readers are wondering what's going to happen next, there's an interruption. Mark is a great storyteller. He brings a new character. Look at verses 24 to 26. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had Yet instead of getting better she grew worse so there's a huge crowd following Jesus and in the middle of the crowd is a woman and she had suffered from a hemorrhaging problem for 12 years life had been hard for this woman who's not even named in the Gospels the constant loss of blood would have made her weak and anemic She had sought medical help, consulted many doctors, but instead of getting better, she grew worse because the doctors simply exploited her. Not only was her health going down, but so was her bank balance. She was now bankrupt. And this wasn't just a physical malady, but according to the Jewish Old Testament laws, this woman was ceremonially unclean. A woman with an ongoing discharge of blood, according to the book of Leviticus, would have been practically excluded from all forms of communal life. In an honor-shame culture, that's one of the worst things that can happen to anyone, especially a woman. It was socially crippling. If she touched anyone, they would become unclean and therefore she had to stay away from physical contact with anybody. Even her family would have turned her down. The woman had lost her money, was in physical discomfort, bearing a load of shame and looked down by everyone. And this happened for 12 years. That's a long time. Not a day would have gone by without this woman beseeching God for healing. Desperate cries for deliverance. Nothing happened. So here we have Jairus' daughter dying on the one hand. And you have this woman who was experiencing living death. And when this woman realized that Jesus was in town... She saw this as an opportunity for her healing, her only source of hope, her one last shot at recovery. So we have Jairus, this great and influential man, and this marginalized woman that no one cared for, both facing a dire challenge, and they find each other at the same place, the feet of Jesus. In a small town, everyone knew her. So this ritually unclean woman could not come to Jesus face to face like Jairus did. So she snuck into the crowd without anyone noticing with the conviction in her heart that if somehow she reached out and touched the clothes of Jesus, she would receive a healing. Matthew's gospel would say she was hoping to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. So she takes a huge risk, perhaps risking her life, knowing that anyone else she comes in touch with in the crowd would become ritually unclean. The woman does the unimaginable. She reaches out and touches a rabbi. You know, as a little boy, I had a burning question. What will happen if I stuck a metal pin inside the electric outlet on the wall? (laughs) You know, in today's world, when we're curious about something, we Google it. But the days we didn't have Google, we learned by experience. (laughs) So curiosity got the better of me, and I decided to do a live science experiment. On a day when nobody was watching, I stuck a metal hairpin inside the electric outlet on the wall. And electricity shot through for a few seconds, it felt like for eternity. There were sparks everywhere, and I tell you, it was literally a hair-raising experience. (laughs) Well, thankfully, the fuse in the electric board blew, resulting in a power outage, and it gave me much-needed relief. And I'm glad I'm alive to tell that story. Tell you, the only thing more painful than electricity shooting through your body was the spanking I received from my mom after that incident. (laughs) So you have this hemorrhaging woman. She reached out and touched the edge of Jesus' clothes, and it was like she touched a powerhouse. And she was instantly healed. Look at verse 29. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. The word for suffering there literally means a whip or a lash. Interestingly, it's the same word used to refer to Jesus being scourged with a whip. For 12 long years, this horrible affliction had been scourging her every single day. 12 years of being lashed by a whip, so to speak. But she came in contact with a mighty savior and this woman was freed from her suffering. That constant nagging affliction was gone in an instant and the women knew it right away. There was someone else who knew what happened. It was Jesus. Jesus realizing what had happened poses a question. Who touched me? That seems like a ridiculous question. Isn't Jesus the son of God? Does he not know all things? Like, he's asking a question, who touched me? The disciples were miffed by that question. What do you mean, who touched you? There's people thronging and jostling all over you. Everyone is pressing against you this was a different touch it was a touch of faith and faith moves the heart of God you see this in the Gospels every time Jesus saw authentic faith it thrilled his heart and he was greatly disappointed at the absence of faith the reason Jesus asked who touched me was because he did not want the women to remain anonymous. All that the woman wanted was a healing. She desperately wanted to be physically well. And when she realized that she had received her miracle, she wanted to leave quietly, anonymously, away from the crowd. But, oh, Jesus had so much more in store for her. The mighty Savior was not just going to dispense a blessing and send her away. He offered her a true life-changing encounter. Look at verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus was being persistent here. He wouldn't let go. He sought this woman out. And finally, after A period of silence, the woman stepped forward, trembling with fear. She expected a rebuke, a public chastisement for the audacity that she had in touching a holy man, a rabbi, when she was ritually unclean. But this is what Jesus said, verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. How did Jesus address her? Tell you that's profound. Jesus called her daughter. The only woman in the four gospels who's being addressed by Jesus that way. Notice this, he did not call her daughter of Abraham, nor daughter of Jerusalem. He did not call her woman, a word he used to address his own mother. He called her daughter. This lady who had been an outcast, unclean, second class, marginalized, looked down by everyone is now a daughter of Jesus. Her impurity had been removed, her suffering was over, her status was restored, and now she was part of God's great family. (laughs) Dr. Abraham Kurivila, in his commentary on Mark's gospel, points out, two daughters in Israel were ill that day. One had a powerful father who beseeches Jesus for healing, but this lowly woman has no one to represent her, but God himself champions her cause and adopts her as his daughter. That one word settles everything. Jesus looked at this woman and said, daughter, your faith has healed you. This is not magic, but it is faith in the person of Jesus that brought healing. And let me tell you here, this woman had a simple faith. It was a faith mingled with fears and doubts. But Jesus can work with that. Did he not say, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And that's why the most important question is not how much faith you have, but is your faith directed towards Jesus? For he can even use imperfect faith to move mountains. And he says to the women, your faith has made you well. The word therefore, well is the same word for salvation. She had come as an outcast, fearful of rebuke, but she found not just physical healing, she received salvation. She was restored emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And Mark uses this story to demonstrate the saving power of Jesus. Church, that same power is available today to bring healing in all domains, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's the very same power that makes us who are far off sons and daughters of the living God. You know, when I pray for people's healing, I pray earnestly. I pray in confidence that God has the best intention in mind for this person. And I believe in the power of Jesus to heal in all domains physically, spiritually, emotionally. Jesus alone can make a person whole and complete. I want you to look at verse 35 while jesus was still speaking some people came from the household of Jairus the synagogue leader your daughter is dead they said why bother the teacher anymore what do you think went through Jairus mind when he receives this text message that his daughter is dead shock Sorrow, bitterness that this woman had interrupted them. Jairus must have been shaking, trembling, like any dad would if you were to receive the news that your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? That subtle comment that rubs salt on the wounds. Jesus has let you down. Jairus could have said, Jesus, you delayed coming to my daughter. You spent time with this social outcast. You were talking to people in the crowd. Now my daughter is dead. It's all over. How many times we wrestle with similar thoughts? The waters are above the head. The problems are so daunting. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. We are staring down the barrel of a gun. And what you feel surging inside of you is anxiety, fear, panic. And you conclude in your heart, it's all over. I want you to look at verse 36. Overhearing what they said. Jesus was well aware of the conversation that was going on. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jairus, there's only one thing I want to say to you. Don't be afraid, just believe. Fear is a natural human response to the unknown. When faced with an unknown, uncertain future, fear is the immediate response. But in the darkest moment of Jairus' life, when everything had come crashing down, when emotions were surging, disappointment written all over his heart, Jesus was calling for faith. He was asking Jairus to trust him. Jairus, just believe. Just believe. The word tense is a continual action. This is not a single act of belief, but a continuous, steady, ongoing faith. True faith is not merely a positive confession. True faith is an utter dependence on God. It's a resolute confidence in the character of Jesus that he will come through no matter what. Oswald Chambers wrote, Have you been asking God what he is going to do? He will never tell you. God does not tell you what he is going to do. He reveals to you who he is. That's what's happening here in our text. Jesus does not give Jairus a blueprint of his plan. He's not giving him the next course of action. He's not showing him the end result. But Jesus was going to use this entire episode to reveal himself in a most powerful way to Jairus and his family and for all of us today through this text. God does not tell you What he is going to do, he reveals to you who he is. His character, that he is trustworthy and faithful. And you have to hold on to that revelation when you're walking through your trial, when you're in the midst of darkness, when you're going through a valley. Focus not on the immensity of your problem, but on the character and power and faithfulness and trustworthiness of our God. look at verse 38 when they came to the home of the synagogue leader Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly so Jesus and his disciples arrive at Jairus home and there are professional mourners who are waiting because the Jairus was such an important man there were several of them Funerals were noisy in that culture. It's very different from our North American funerals. You hear loud weeping and crying and wailing. People are even paid to sob and shed tears just to make the dead person feel he's really being missed. Look at verses 39 and 40. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Jesus sees this group of professional mourners and he is contending with them that the girl is not dead but she's sleeping. The truth is she was dead, not apparently dead, not in a state of coma. She was really dead and everybody in the room knew it. But from Jesus' point of view, it was mere sleep. No, sleep is a temporary state of unconsciousness, isn't it? So when we are sleeping, we are unaware of the circumstances surrounding us. But we will wake up. It's a temporary phase. And Jesus is saying, the girl is asleep. It's temporary. for She's going to wake up soon. The monas did not exercise faith. They did not see Jesus as the mighty Savior. So they mocked at his words. They were cynical. They laughed. Jesus ordered them to leave. He put them out. You know, Matthew's gospel is even stronger in the language. Jesus says to them, go away. Get out of here. The reason he was chasing the mourners was because he was going to put an end to that funeral. I tell you, only Jesus can do that. Look at verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Did you see that? Jesus took her by the hand. Jesus' love and tenderness is on full display here. He could have spoken to this girl from far. But he adds that personal touch. She was held by the hand of the mighty Savior. The one who created the world, the one who brought the galaxies into existence, this great God who holds this whole universe in the palm of his hand, took this little girl's hand. And Jesus spoke to the dead body of a 12-year-old girl words of life, talitha kum. It's in Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke. Even though the New Testament is written in Greek, these two words are quoted in Aramaic because the initial hearers, as they heard those words, it had a, a significant impact on them. So they retained those words. Talitha is a pet name. It literally means little lamp. An endearing name a mother would use to refer to her girl. It's very similar to our word honey. Kum means wake up or Arise. Talitha kum is the word a parent would use to wake up their child every morning. Honey, it's time to get up. I want you to pause and just let that sink in your mind. Jesus is staring at Death. He's facing a greater foe than the forces of nature or the powers of darkness. This is the greatest enemy of humanity, death. He's not sweating bullets. He's not rolling up his sleeves for a battle. He's not nervous. There are no signs of any panic. Jesus gently takes the little girl's hand and wakes her up. Like from a good night's sleep Nap time is over And the dead girl stood up and was walking around and everyone was celebrating. Jairus is doing the jig. Just a little while ago, this very household was weeping and moaning and wailing. And now the entire household was rejoicing and celebrating because Jesus had crashed a funeral and turned it into a party. That's why we call him a mighty savior. Now, how does this story apply to us today? Sickness and death are two long-standing enemies of humanity. We haven't conquered them. After years of research, advancement in medicine, and intellectual progress, we are still confounded by the power of sickness and death. But I have news for you today, church, that there is someone who has conquered sickness and pain, and there's someone who has stripped death of its power. His name is Jesus. Now, how is Jesus more powerful than sickness? Here's the good news for all who are sick. If you come to Jesus in faith, All of us, every single one of us who trust in him will be healed. Some of us will receive that healing in this life in response to prayers of faith. And that is a sign that the kingdom of God is among us and it reverses the curse. The rest of us will receive our healing when we see Jesus face to face. But believers in the Lord Jesus will not remain sick forever because sickness is a conquered enemy. There's coming a day when people in wheelchair will be able to do cartwheels. People whose bodies were eaten by cancer will have a a restored, resurrected body that is cancer-free. The ones who suffered from depression will have a renewed mind that will be in awe of God. That is the destiny of every follower of Jesus Christ. Sickness has been defeated and one day will be fully vanquished. How is Jesus more powerful than death? A Canadian scientist named G.B. Hardy said something so profound it blew my mind let me read that for you when I looked at religion I said I have two questions one has anybody ever conquered death and two, if they have did they make a way for me to conquer death I checked the tomb of Buddha and it was occupied and I checked the tomb of Confucius and it was occupied And I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. Hold it. Hold it for a moment. It's going to get better now. And I said, there is one who conquered death. And I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible and discovered the words of Jesus. Because I live, you also shall live. You know, at that very day, on that day when Jairus' daughter was raised, there were many fathers in Israel who lost their little sons and daughters. Jesus did not raise every one of them because the raising of Jairus' daughter is a preview. It's a pointer to Jesus' own resurrection and his power over death. Jesus conquered the grave and defeated death hands down. And not just that, he paved the way for all who trust in him to rise again from the dead. Death still strikes us. It still is an enemy. But the great declaration of our Christian faith is, because he lives, we also shall live. The same Jesus who raised Jairus' daughter by taking her in his hand, will look at our sons and daughters who have died in faith, and he will say, Talitha, kum, little lambs, arise, and we will all rise in our glorious resurrected bodies. Church, let me remind us in closing, sickness and death will not have their final say. Jesus will. For sickness and death have been comprehensively defeated. Christ has won. He has overcome. He stands victorious. He is our mighty Savior. The question I want to leave with you is Do you have that hope in your heart? Has it been personalized in your life that sickness? Is conquered. Death has been stripped of its power. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. Church, I believe the Lord has very clearly spoken to us through His Word, by the power of His Spirit. This is an opportunity for us to respond to God. This is a time Jesus is knocking on many hearts. And now is the time to just internalize this truth. So God has spoken to you today. And you want a personal assurance that your sickness has been conquered. And your death has been defeated. I want to encourage you to come forward and just kneel right here on the altar. Because when I look at that story, the women demonstrated great faith. They come into a crowd and then go and touch the hem of Jesus' garment that bold affirmation of faith is what moves the heart of God. I want to give the challenge to you today. If you want to just declare that this truth I heard is mine, that my sickness and my death has been conquered, I just want to encourage you, just step forward right now. I'm going to maintain a moment of silence and I want to pray with you. Just kneel here on the altar. It's a declaration of our faith in the Lord Jesus. Ask, uh, prayer partners, pastors and ministry leaders, if you're here, to make your way up as well. You we want to spend some time in healing prayer because we believe in the power of Jesus to heal. So if some of you need a healing touch in your body, please come forward for prayer. I'll invite prayer partners to come. Let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you for giving us a mighty Savior, a Savior who has overcome sin, who has defeated the forces of darkness, who has conquered sickness and death, and who stands victorious today at the right hand of the throne of God. It is you we worship. It is you we bend our knees to, for you are our personal Lord and our Savior. We thank you for the great hope that we have in you. A hope that transcends this life, transcends the grave. A hope that is eternal. I pray for every person kneeling at the altar. Lord, personalize this truth. Take this truth right now by the power of your Spirit and write it down in their hearts. That this truth will define their life from now on that they will live every day with this great assurance that death and sickness and every opponent of humanity has been defeated and we have victory in the name of Jesus. So we claim that even right now, Lord. We ask for physical healing in bodies. We thank you that you're able to heal us in all domains. So manifest your power. Make us whole. And help us to be a community that will declare this great message to a world that needs to hear it. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, for you alone are worthy. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter